Hello, everybody. This is Jerry Lee, and thank you for listening to my song. Just wanted to sing it because it's been on my heart. Whose hands are these? The Bible speaks in the Old Testament, the book of Habakkuk, that in the hollow, in the hiding of his hands, was his power. And um, I think that's Habakkuk. <laughs> but anyway, um, guess what? Jerry Lee here standing in for the manifester and wanting to again thank his uh, precious wife, uh, who by the end of this year will have been married 50 years and will be coming into the to the golden years. Amen. And uh, what a happy event that's been. It's been a wonderful uh, time of this going on 50 years. And uh, my wife and her talent with the keyboard is just absolutely amazing. And I thank God for that. Uh, what a partner she has been. And uh, tonight, guess what? Well, we are going to continue um, about uh, the firstborn church not on earth. Uh, and this will be part two under the title Transassimilation. So here we go tonight. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading quite a few scriptures. So you can turn with me to the book of Job. And uh, <clears throat> we could actually start with Job 33 because Job 33 has a very, very interesting uh, statement that it makes. And it's one of the people that were, you know, talking to, uh, to Job. And um, he goes on and in this 23rd verse of the 33rd chapter of Job. He says, if there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness, then he is gracious unto him, and saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Sometimes God does have such a provision where he raises up interpreters and raises up sometimes an interpreter that is only one in a thousand. And uh, <clears throat> if you are in the light of an interpreter who is bringing revelation to you, then please do not stop to give any kind of consideration that this is anything less than the mercy and the glory of God. Because it is God, uh, by the holy unction of God, that a person who is an interpreter receives the understanding so that he or she can be an interpreter. And, and uh, that person usually will be wise enough to understand that without the unction and the holy anointing of God, that they are a ship without a sail. And uh, I, I know personally myself that I certainly do understand that. And I thank God uh, for having an understanding. So tonight, uh, we will start with Job 38 at the very beginning of the verse. <clears throat> this is a well-known um, well uh, chapter to a lot of you people who have been following me, following me for many years. And um, we start right in the beginning. Then, then, that's a setting. That means there were other things that happened, but at some climatic moment, at some instant in time, 
there was this interception. There was this interval where there was an opening. And then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Job was in a state of physical health, in a state of mental confusion to some extent because his own wife had turned against him. Many of his friends had forsaken him, and a lot of members of his family had died. And that was all piled on top of his health and this terrible condition of boils. And he so needed to hear from God. And God answered Job out of the whirlwind. There are so many different ways that God can answer a person. It's not always out of the whirlwind. The Bible records one time a prophet was answered by a small, still voice. There were all the other signs and evidence of God. A fire, a shaking, a quaking, and other possibilities. But when God was really speaking to that particular person, it was a small, still voice. But in this case with Job, he was so piled on, he was so bound up with so many different complications that he needed a whirlwind. And that is what he got. And, you know, that whirlwind is reminiscent of revelations in the book of Ezekiel and the book of Acts. It's it, it's a wheel in the middle of the wheel. It, it is a, you know, a mighty rushing wind filling all the house where all the people are sitting and waiting on the Holy Spirit to reveal itself in a manifested way. And I hope that you're out there tonight on the airwaves of this message. And... Um, I hope that you're in that kind of a meditative uh, mood. You're waiting for the Word of God, because surely tonight the Word of God will come to you, and and there will be absolutely um, beautiful things that God will have to say. And so, he goes on and he says, as God speaks, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by the words without knowledge? Now, God was speaking to Job. And God said, Job, what is going on? If you don't mind me paraphrasing. What is going on? This this isn't you. There's something else that is speaking in you that belongs to the dark side. The scourge side, the negative side. This isn't you. What, what, what is this in you? Who is this you're allowing to speak? He says, you know, uh, those are those are are darkened counsel, and they're words that do not have knowledge in them. So he goes on in verse three. He says, "Now girt up the loins like a man." And there are other scriptures in the New Testament that speak about girding up the loins of your mind. So that idea of girding something up is obviously an energy that is available to everybody that really wants to get into it and use it to be able to open the the depths of the spiritual revelations of God and to open the depths of your personal needs and um, 
the needs that you have for divineness and the needs that you just have that happen every day among those that you love. God just wants to be there for you. And He will be there for you. Because God is love. And so it goes on. He says, Now grit up your loins like a man. And God is being very emphatic about this. And He says, And here's why you need to do that. Here's why you need to gird up your loins. For, which is equal to because, because I will demand of thee an answer. I think that people have to appreciate that God is God. And that God is a good God. And that God does have things that as God that un insist upon. He insists. It's a demand. It's not something you, you can just do or not do, because without doing it, you don't fulfill the link. You don't fulfill the connections. You don't open the holy gate. And you remain in this self-centered, lost triangle of loops that are spinning in and out of it tangentially, but are not connecting to any true circuits. And then in verse 4, this is part of the demand of God. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have any understanding. I think you have to understand that this question session that is set down here is not just for Job. This was written in this one of the oldest books, if not the oldest book of the Bible, to be made public and for multitudes and millions of people to eventually read this and get the direct notion that this is a word from God speaking to the people of the earth. And asking the people of the earth the same question, and it's not just a polite passing tone. It's an insistence by God that you become serious enough, serious enough about life, serious enough about your following God to dig into these questions and understand the relativeness of those questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare it if you have understanding. There's so much in that. Where were you? There's a supposition there. A supposition that God would not ask frivolous things. That when God was asking these questions, they had direct linking, direct connection. And we have to understand that. If we miss out on that, we are missing out on a tremendous blessing of knowledge. Where were you? I might ask you by relaying this question. Where were you? Someone says, well, I wasn't even born then. Oh, really? Well, then you must have never, ever, ever belonged to the church of the firstborn. 
And if that's the case, then there's no sense of you worrying about the message of Jesus about being born again. Because that message, when you read it in the true Greek root, is about being born again from above. Born again from above. And if you never were born from above, then you can never come into that salvation offering of Jesus Christ. Because it's only to those who were born again from above. You must be born again from above. And that's his message. I'm coming to give you a rebirth of the birth that you had before you were born here on earth. Now, your birth here on earth is necessary because it is part of your birth by water, which is, you know, the water that you are born in, in the mother. And when that, that water bag breaks, then birth comes. And this is, that is essential. We have to be born in, in flesh. And it's so important, as Jesus said, you know, I came this same way for a purpose. I came into the flesh. And if any man or any person says that I didn't, then they belong to the Antichrist. They, they, they belong to the Antichrist. They are not teaching the gospel. They are not teaching the truth because they are leaving out a, a, an, a connection that is so vital that there is no other essence that can make up for it. It is a vital link. Take that link out and bam, you are out of the loop. And that is not the plan of God. That is not the plan of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to leave any of his people out of the loop, as we'll see as we get further into this message. This wonderful message of the Church of the Firstborn and Transassimilation. It is so important. And you really want to hear this. And you don't just want to hear it. You want it to live in you. So it becomes a part of your breathing a part of your deep inner comprehension, that it is so circuited within you that it touches your utter innermost being. Where were you? Someone said, well, how can I ever know that? Why can you not know that by the Holy Spirit? You do believe in the Holy Spirit. You do believe that the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit will come into you and it will lead you to all truth? Or do you have that kind of Holy Spirit? If you don't have the Holy Spirit that fulfills the scripture that Jesus spoke about, that would lead you and guide you into all truth, then you are missing an advent of such a significant nature that you are miles from the kingdom of God. You're not even approaching the threshold. Gird up your loins. This is a demand. This is an essentiality. You must answer this. Where were you when the foundations of this earth was laid? This is the causation of why the earth was laid. The whole purpose of the creation of the earth. 
by the Elohim. The Elohim, the gods. That's a plural word. And and, and don't give me a bunch of the festering, you know, meldew that, that, uh, that some uh, theologians have tried to insist that it is limited because of, of the placement of the verb. Don't go there. You go talk to other people that are ignorant of the truth, but don't talk to me about it. Because I believe in the Scripture by the contextuality of the Scripture. And that it's verse to verse and chapter to chapter and book to book and the whole of the Bible that contains all of the contextuality that forged together in its cooperations a presentation that make the Word come to reality and provide for us the truth and the whole truth so help us God and you, you can you can strain at a gnat, gnat and swallow those camels in which you're just so absolutely being perfected about making a particular point but you will never be able to become untied to your restrictions if you keep glued and cemented that, that, to that kind of limitation. For with a little bit of insight and a little bit of looking, you will find all kinds of other examples contextually throughout the Bible that disembarks from that one root in the sea. There are other streams flowing out there. Some carry... Some carry north, some carry south. And you have to get into the right stream according to which direction that you are being led by the Spirit to go. And God is insisting, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And if you can't, if you can't, if you can't say an answer, if you can't give an answer to this, then it the, the next thing follows is because you do not have understanding. And how many years have you been going to church? How many years have you been listening to preachers? How many years have you been reading their magazines and their books? And he, have, have those years ever, ever taken you to this moment, to this day, to this threshold? That there is a requirement of God for you to answer that question? Where were you? When the foundations of the earth, and someone say, well, <laughs> I didn't exist. Well, then, there you are. If you did not exist, then you do not belong to the church of the firstborn. And the church of the firstborn is in heaven. Not still a physical heaven, but it is connected to the ultimate first domain, the, the heaven of heavens. But people aren't going to take off and get up there into the heaven of heavens until their work in this universe is finished. And I want to tell you that it isn't even, hasn't even begun to be finished. Because the Bible tells us in, in I think it's the 51st first chapter of Isaiah, that it's the plan of God for us to go out and plant the heavens with, with, with life. That's all part of the plan of God. There's a continuum of this creating of potential uh, new creations that can eventually uh, ladder loot into having an understanding and a recognition 
that there is a God. So if you cannot understand that, then you, you cannot be part of that group of whom Jesus spoke to, born again from above. If you weren't born again from above, or you are so deprived of the information and the truth that your vision is blocked. And there are many instances in the Bible in which people had their visions blocked. They just could not see a truth. They just could not see certain things existing until the Bible says, and God opened their eyes. And suddenly, when God opened their eyes, the truth was there all the time, right before them, but they could not see it. It did not come into recollection. It did not come into memory. There was a block in them. And many times those blocks are either self-created, circumstantially created, or are, are created by a person allowing themselves to be exposed to or subjugated to ideas, concepts, and teachings that are not of the Holy Spirit. They're man-made, even though they're done under the, under the, the format of religiosity. And that isn't being said to knock any church or any society or, or any persons. It's just being said because fact is a street that everybody that wants to walk straight have to know about. It's a, it, it is a street. It's a real place. A real place of position, or a real place of, of traversing from one point to another point, to getting on up the line, closer to the kingdom of God. Where were you? If you don't have the understanding of that, doesn't mean that you weren't born from above. It just means that you're in ignorance because you've not come into these teachings. <clears throat> Who, who hath laid the measures thereof? If you know, or if you know who has stretched out the line upon it, well, you should say, do you know that? Verse 6, Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone? Thereof, and then look what look at this next insertion. Look at this next ball of brazing sparkles. Verse seven. When the morning stars sang together, and all, all, a l l, all the sons of God shouted for joy. Don't you get it? Say, please, mind, hear this word. Please, mind, open. Please, Holy Spirit, don't reject me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Open my mind and my eyes to be pliable and to come into this understanding of truth into this interpretation of one in a thousand that is speaking to me right now. That is opening summations 
that is opening proclamations and revealing things that have been buried since the beginning of time, ever since the tree of life was removed from the Garden of Eden by the cherubim angels. Well, this is connected to the when, to the when of the morning stars. All of these things that we just said, were you were there when this happened? Were you there when that happened? What about this? Did you measure this? Did you figure this? Were you involved in this? Can you answer this? Well, what is your answer to that? That's all involved. The timing is connected. It says when. When. This happened when. The morning stars sang together. And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Stars, sons of God, angels, all the same thing. Jesus said in the book of the 10th chapter of, of the Gospel of John, you are God's. And the, the Bible says so. And it cannot, cannot be broken. It is a word that cannot be changed. There is no power on earth or in heaven that can change that word. It is a binding force. And this word cannot be stopped. Even the gates of hell cannot stop this word because it is a rising resurrection of truth. He that is born from above is a member of the church of the firstborn. And church is just another word in the Greek that has been used for an earthly understanding of <clears throat> meeting places of people. It's not a building. <clears throat> but it's about it's about a corporation or a group of people. Um, it could be like a group of angels. Like there's cherubim angels, there's seraphim angels, there's ophanim angels. Well, in this case, it's about a group of angels called ophanim who were the morning stars. And they were involved when all these various things about laying the foundations of the earth, all the measurements, all the creative things. What were they doing? Well, according to the manifest teachings, they were the Elohim angels that were directly involved with the Avael in the spiriting of creation. They were in creation, spiriting the creations of Latolution, bringing forth the changes, bringing forth from spiritual axioms, and promoting the absolutely miraculous grace of God in God's way of enabling people to represent the wonderful greatness of God and the wonderful creative power of God and to become a part of His greatness. And they were 
out there spiriting creation, causing these things to happen. And that was when the morning stars were singing together for joy. They were singing. Well, singing doesn't mean they were saying, when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Or come and die and the master calleth. No, that's not what it's talking about. This singing that it was talking about is the vibrations. It's the the very real substance of a thing in the book of Hebrews called faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence. It's the materialization of things that you have deemed through your power of imagining something to be. Calling those things that are not as though they were until they are. And the angels were doing that. They were spiriting creation. And their song involved the living vibrations and the frequencies. And those living vibrations and frequencies are in ever crystalline lattice of every structure, of every living thing and breathing thing. And even in the very fibers of the world. There are identity points that exist in everything that there is. God who is in all, through all, and above all is a part of that part which is a part. And all those parts, although not the summation of the whole, are a sub- are a summation of a great circle. Blessed be the name of God. And so, you people who Jesus said you are gods, you Elohim angels, you Ophanim who were tripped up and ended up falling down to this earth and having to take on physical bodies, because you were just too smart to understand salvage. Salvage, it was beneath you. You were above it. And you had to be made humble. You had to forget your intelligence, forget your angelic capabilities. (coughs) Excuse me. And to do that, you had to lose your memory. When you lost your memory by coming into this physical body, Imagine what would happen if you as a human being had to take on the body of an ant. Now, the capacity of the ant to be able to remember, to be able to have intellectual understanding, is limited by the very structure of its its brain and of its senses. So there's no way to cram into that ant the knowledge that you have as human beings, so then you become very, very limited, and you cannot even remember that you ever were a human being that is now living in this ant. And an angel is so far greater I mean there's a lot of people out there teaching that that human beings are equal to angels. And that even 
that human beings are even greater than angels because someday they're going to judge the angels. And, and that is so mistaught because they don't understand that they're talking about the fall. They're not talking about just the fallen angels. They're talking about the demonic angels. You're going to judge the demonic angels. The cherubim who were part of the co-uning of Lucifer. And that came out from him just like when, but on a higher, different order, when Jesus came out of the Father. That is something that can happen in the, the world of of archangels and co-archangels. And when you understand all of that, and the connectedness of all of that, it changes the world. It changes reality. It is so vast, so Im- immeasurable. Right now, you pivot on the tottering moment of spiral. Right now, the spin is spinning upward. And these cycles are what you can enter into in your spirit. Even as I'm speaking, you can feel the energy of it. And you can feel your spirit wanting to lift and spin upward. And this holy ghost, Holy Spirit experience become a part of your cellular being as well as your spirit being. Because when God takes something in, He baptizes your whole person, your body, your spirit, and the essence of your soul. And so the angels were spiriting creation. And this song that they were putting into creation is still out there to be read, to be understood. If there's an interpreter, if there's one in a thousand who could be raised up to read and understand these truths, what does it say? It says, you could receive a ransom, you could be set free, you could come into the ransom that was provided for you by Jesus Christ. And his spirit of love and loveliness. What a powerful moment. What an exciting, interesting, vivacious way to turn toward the light until you are engulfed by it. Until you are simulating with the presence of God in you, around you, and above you. Praise God. Who shut up the sea with the doors? Now he goes on with it. When it break forth as out of as out of the womb, well, who do you think? The morning stars. So it's, it's all you know, this is right in the middle of this whole thing. And it's saying, do you get it? This is when the morning stars were singing for joy. This was their joy to do this. This was the work of God to go out and to create. And they could hear the humming of the, ver- of the frequencies and of the vibrations. The gyros, the, the spinnings the marching of the atoms, 
swirling to move into the places that the Spirit was drawing them to come to. For there is not anything in the truest depth of reality that does not recognize that God is God. Verse 9, When I made the cloud the garment thereof, and the thick darkness a swaddling band, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto thou shalt come no further, and there shall thy proud waves be stayed. Hast thou commanded the morning since the days, and caused the day spring to know its place? Have you done this? Yes, you have. You were there. It says so in the Bible. It says so before Genesis that wisdom was there. Before the creations of the earth, before all those things, wisdom was, wisdom was there and you were enfolded in that wisdom as a group of the morning stars, the Ophanim, church of the firstborn. Wow. Wow. Are you getting this? Are you letting it sink in? Is it entering into your heart and your mind and the presence of your thinking? Did you command the morning since thy days? Why shouldn't you command the morning? You are morning stars. It means more than just a star that can be seen in the, the brightness of dawn. It's something much deeper than that, what that means. Because Jesus is the bright morning star, you know. And Satan so revered that title that he tried to take it on for himself under his actions as Lucifer. Yeah, did you do that? Well, of course you did. Absolutely you did. You commanded the morning. Using all the powers since the instant, the moment that you became an Ophanim, an angel conveyed with all of the eternal powers of eternalness on your mission into the subduction zones of, of the universe. You did that. That's on your record. That's a plus for you. Because the way it worked in the, in the codes of God is very similar to the revelation revealed to Moses when he said, when a certain number of the, of the young men go out and they are the army and they go out and they fight a war, and they win the war, then he says, they don't just get to keep that booty because they were there and they won the war. But everybody who is part of Israel gets to share that equally because everybody is doing their own part and because they are all a part of that part which is a part of the wholeness of Israel. And so they all share. And that's the same way. Those angels that went out, the number that they were, they represented all the rest of the angels that were doing other things. 
They were involved in other aspects of creation. But not in the literal, on the scene, spiriting of creation. Praise God. Let's go on. What an interesting, interesting book this is. How interesting. And just listen to how this ties it together with what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> let's go to verse uh, 17. Have the gates of death been opened unto you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you perceived the breath of the earth and decay? Declare it. Declare it. I demand you to declare these things, if you know. Where is the way where light dwells? As for darkness, where is the place thereof? Have you reached the point that you can begin to separate what is light, what is darkness, what is spiritual, what is anti-spirituality, what is revelation, what is just rigor, made out of fleshly contributions. Have you been able to come into the place that you can understand death in its totality? What that story is all about? How that it is only a shadow of, of some other meaning? Verse 20. That thou shouldest take it to the bound thereof. And thou should know the paths to the house thereof. What house? What house? In my father's house I'm in many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you so. In my father's house. 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 My father's house. The house of the Church of the Firstborn. The house of the morning stars. The house of the sons of Enoch. What a totally, absolutely fantastic thing. Wow. Is it really talking about that? Is that what it's really about? Well, now look what happens in verse 21. Knowest thou it, because thou wast then born? Job. Job. Do you know this? Now, if you look in some of the other Bible interpretations, some of the other Bible translations, they word it even more emphatic. They say, you do know this. And I really like that interpretation. You do know this because you were born then. That's how these other translations say it. You do know this. So in all these other statements where it says, do you, do you know this? It finally is a summation. says, you do know this because that's when you were born. When, 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 when born? Oh, when the morning stars sung together before the foundations of the earth. That's when you were born. And you were involved in all of this creation by spiriting the creation. That's you. Part of the church of the firstborn. You are so important. 
You have a soul. Nothing else in creation has a soul except people or entities that have been to the first domain. And the Bible says no, no one, no one, son of man, no one can, uh, can ascend to heaven, the first domain heaven, heaven of heavens, unless they have come from there. You'll only enter in there if you have a soul. And we're talking spirit soul, not body soul. Verse 21, yeah. Verse 21. Wow. Thou knowest. Thou knowest it. You, you do know this. You know that you were born then. And here's something else that you know. And it's such a shame if you can't realize this. You know this because the number of your days is great. You are a relative to the ancient of ancients. You are part of the seed platform for the manifold launchings of God's revelation into time and space and timelessness. Because you are absolutely distinct. And there are millions of ideologies out there that would rob this treasure from you. This treasure that is hid in earthen vessels. They would rob this from you. Because in those groups there is not one person among a thousand that can properly interpret what the Bible is really teaching and really saying. Or interpret what the crop circles are. And how that the message of infinity and if you haven't read the blogs that I've been doing, the last two especially, and this third one that will be coming up on the crop circles, you are missing out big time. God help you to be able to read that. The one before, the one that's on now, and the one that's coming. Because it is true, incredible revelation. And... It's going to turn concrete back into soil and substances. And every stone out there that's been laid one upon another to build pseudo-institutions and societies is going to come down just like what Jesus said. The day will come that not one stone, not one, did you hear that? Not one stone will be left upon another. You cannot build a church with stones that have been hammered on, chiseled on, in the presence of human ideology. This is a divine thing in which the divine places of worship there had to be no sound made in the in the building as like hammering, no hammering no chiseling to be heard in the, in the building because the the sound of the soundtron was not to be interrupted in the implantations of the vibrations and the frequencies 
into those buildings so that the divine numbers could be left in proper sequence as to the amplitudes and frequencies and vibrations of the powers of creation. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the holy name of the holy God. Wow. You know. You know, ladies and gentlemen, because you were born then. <coughs> you were born from above. You know, because you were born then. Wow. Whew. So beautiful. So glorious. Let's skip to verse 26. To cause it to rain on the earth where no man is. In the wilderness wherein there is no man. Sometimes you will be led to places that haven't even been inhabited by other humans forming any kind of a society or any kind of a thing called a church. Sometimes these are only individuals here and there, strung out and distanced apart. And there's there's no rain on those lands for people because there's no man that can reveal them the interpretations. And it's, it's a wilderness there. There is no man to satisfy the desolate, verse 27, and waste ground and to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth. There's no man to spirit creation to bring forth the truth, to unlock the mysteries, to unfold the revelations, to set the clocks and the watches of time into the proper perspective of relativity. Until at some moment, some instance, a voice comes that is heard crying in the wilderness. The voice crying in the wilderness is here again. Crying in the wilderness, the truth. Preparing to satisfy the desolate and waste ground, preparing to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth again, to begin to spirit the creation and enliven the prospects that have always been there but the eyes could not see, to open up the grave in a resurrecting kind of way. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. Verse 31. Can you bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades? Loose the bands of Orion? It's really talking about the homelands of, of two of the great groups of angels that came to this 
galaxy along with the Ophanim. The seraphim and the Ophanim are part. Pardon me. The, the seraphim and the cherubim. Wow. Can you bring forth Mazazareth or Mazareth in his season? Can you do that? Of course you can. Can you guide Arturus? And in other Bibles it says, you know, the, the great bear and his cubs or her cubs. Can you do that? Can you can you can you guide Arturus with his sons? Because constellation and sons and cubs, even if you go back to mythology, it still means people. It means the same thing. But but the 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 cubs do represent these two different constellations. One is a, the greater constellation of the Big Dipper called Asia Major. And the other is the constellation of the Little Dipper, called Asia Minor. And these are very relative to revelation that the people of God have to know about. I demand you to know, God says. Verse 33. Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Have you been to heaven? Do you really down deep inside of you beyond your subconsciousness into the deep sets of of your total understanding? Remember the ordinances of heaven? Because if you do, then you can do what the whole purpose has been from the beginning. You can set the dominion thereof in the earth. This revelation, going back to the beginning of the earth when the foundations were being set, and the whole purpose was to set the dominion, the concept of the dominion, the prayer of Jesus Christ, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom, dom, D-O-M, the abbreviation of dominion. King. Dumb, D-O-M, K-I-N-G, D-O-M, dumb, abbreviation for dominion. You can set the dominion in the earth. You can set the kingdom in the earth. Because every man and woman, every humanity, every entity that has a soul that is born on earth, chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, is born in the light, is born with the kingdom of God, the kingdom, the domain of God within them. Wow. Wow. It's all so beautiful. It is also tied into perpetuality. Blessed be the name of God. Well, we have a lot of things we want to talk about here. And they're exciting. They're very exciting. And um, <clears throat> we're going to, you know, cover different kinds of scriptures. Um, and you are going to be attracted to this word when we are finished. Because it does talk somewhat, quite somewhat, about eternal justification through Jesus Christ. Trans-assimilation, what does that mean? 
trans means over, beyond. So trans gets you to someplace else, even just in the, the most narrow use of the word, like transportation, to get something from one point to another point. Trans, over land, over sea, over earth and water and sky, over the special spiritual terrain to new dimensional understanding, trans, assimilation, assimilate. There are foods sometimes that your body uh, does not assimilate. And it takes sometimes a certain enzymes or certain uh, other kinds of, um, of minerals or other kinds of um, even sometimes vitamins will open up something in a person that allows them to properly digest something, to assimilate it. If you don't assimilate a food, it just passes through you like debris and becomes feces. And assimilation takes out all of the good aspects, the good substance, the good vitamins, the good minerals, the good ingredients that your body needs to sustain all its vital parts. Now, when we apply this to salvation, when we apply this to the Spirit, and we're trying to take something that is transcendental, that is, you know, set in a spiritual setting, and we want to move that to where you are, then we have to have an experience, an epiphany that allows it to be trans-assimilated to us. And we have to be in the right mode, whatever enzyme that we need of the Spirit, to make it so that our mind can click with it. That enzyme could, in physical sense, representing spiritual, could represent changes in our way of thinking that have been constructed by revelation and by the Holy Spirit uh, you know, moving in people to open up their minds and open up their thinking and be more reasonable and not blocked within the um, imposed limits of uh, of man-made religions and, and uh, self-made pseudo-societies. When I say those things, I'm not, I am not saying them. I truly can attest to this. To knock other churches or to knock other religions or societies. That is the last thing that I'm interested in. I'm not interested in that. But sometimes we do have to cross the streams and the streets and get across the traffic to get to the other side. And sometimes we just have to put up the green light, uh, you know, uh, to, to cause the other traffic to have a red light and stop so we can get across to the other side. And, and we have to recognize that they are out there and that they are opposing traffic. And they are potentially dangerous traffic, potential to cause collisions that could, that could cause death or injury. 
And we have to get to the other side when we want to trans-assimilate. It has to come into us so it lives in us and becomes a part of that part which is a part of us as a person, as a combination, uh, a composite of body, of spirit, of soul. Praise the name of God. Wow. And so trans-assimilation can also happen in, a, in the parallel on the same plane, the same field, in the same strings of flowing magnetisms that can either pass by you or around you and not become a direct influence unless you somehow can use the proper understanding like an enzyme to attract that into yourself because you are open to receive it. And your body is prepared to receive it. Your mind is prepared to receive it. And so then you are able to be assimilated. And it's trans-assimilated in the parallel. So like the life that Jesus lived in the flesh. Jesus wanted us to be trans-assimilated to that life that he lived in the flesh. Because there were divine inspirations and divine secrets in his life and in the the total accumulated actions of his life that guaranteed a payment of all the toll costs for all the toll crossings that could ever happen on this planet earth. Praise be the name of Jesus. Praise God. <clears throat> okay, so that's a little teeny bit about transassimilation. We'll have much, much more to say about that. But I want to go back in time. If you could find Habakkuk, it's in the Old Testament, and uh, it's not the easiest book to find, you know, but it is findable. And some of you are so sharp and fast, you, you would find it real easy. And uh, it is uh, right after uh, Nahum, which is after Micah, and it is before uh, before Zephaniah. And let's look at um, let's look at Genesis. Um, oh no, pardon me. Let's look at Abeka three three. Abeka three three. God came from Teman. He did. God came from Teman. He did? Yes. And the Holy One from Mount Paran. He did? Selah. He did. And His glory covered the heavens. And the earth was full of His praise. And His brightness was a light. He had horns, H-O-R-N-S, coming out of his hand. And there was the holding of his power. Now, in a lot of places in the Bible where, I don't know if it was a lot of places, but in several places, some of the great artists that painted Moses, one in particular, 
who painted Moses, painted him with two horns on top of his head. And most people, when they see two horns on someone's head, they think, oh, that's the devil. The devil has horns. That's the devil. But don't be too sure that just because something has horns that it's the devil. I mean, you've got all kinds of animals with horns. You have deer that have horns. Cows that have horns. And if those are all devils, then you sure are piling up on a lot of protein from devils when you eat them. But the fact of the matter is, is that the way it was translated, the way it was understood, it was understood as horns, and so the artist only knew how to convey it according to no matter how great an artist that you are. You can be the greatest artist that ever lived on the planet, but you can only draw something according to what the portrait potential is in front of you. Unless you're going to just draw an imaginative drawing. And these artists that were really caught up with trying to get the true points of anatomy, the true points of reality, they didn't want to do that. So when they are portraying something in the Bible about Moses and it says he had two horns coming out of his head, they put two horns up there. But the real deep translation of it wasn't horns. It was rays. There were rays coming out of his brain, out of his head. And, and, and I would say the same thing with this, because contextually we have that example. And these horns coming out of, of these hands. It's talking about Jesus, you know. These were rays. Were rays. Energy. Energy emanating and coming out of the very wounds. And somebody said, yeah, well, his hands weren't actually spiked. It was his, it was his wrists. Otherwise, his hands couldn't have held. Well, you know, I understand from the biological perspective of sinew and muscles and all of that. But um, you just don't know how this was. First off, there are many, many stories that there was on the cross a seat that came out. And the body was, was, uh, was set upon that seat. And then up above it, the hands were stretched out to the cross piece, the transom. And then there were cases in which they used twine to tie up the wrist, the, 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 the wrist of, of the right and left hand. And then they would go ahead and drive the nails through the palms. So don't be too sure that because somebody comes up with an you know, emphatic idea to sort of make it look like the Bible was wrong. Don't be too sure that the Bible was wrong because there's other things and other ways that, that we have inklings in history that tell us of the different kinds of crucifixions that were done. And especially if they went out of the way to put uh, the, the name above his hand, you know, uh, King, King of the Jews, well then it would just only be natural for them to put this seat up there so that he's sitting on the throne of the cross. 
and that there was his his seat and his throne, and he was sitting on a throne. And it had been done before, but I mean, it just uh, it, it it would just all make sense. So don't don't jump the gun. Don't uh, don't get too rattled with some guy that's uh, putting some stones together with his own glue, even if he's using super glue. It doesn't mean that when the power of God begins to shake, that that super glue will hold it. I can guarantee you it won't. Because the words of Jesus are more powerful than any super glue. And if Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another, I can tell you right now, not one stone will be left upon another. That's fact. That's, that's fact. Blessed be the name of God. So God came from Teman. And the Holy One from Paran. And it's connected in verse 4. And his brightness was as light. And he had rays or horns. The translation in the middle of my Bible says he had beams. B-E-A-M-S. Like beams of light. Well, that's another word for rays. Coming out of the hollow of his hands. You can see why hands like that that were so powerful that when they laid upon the heads of the sick and the energy that would come out of those hands would just cause people to be healed dead people to be raised to life again blind people to see again deaf people to hear again he just had this kind of divine energy all throughout his body this was Jesus the Christ and I love him. I love him so much. And I know there's a lot of damning conversations and writs out there trying to uh, demonstrate that Christ wasn't anything special. He was just a myth. You know. But I also know that those people that wrote those don't even know what they're talking about. They think they know history. They do not. Some say, well, these are some of the great men that wrote that. Great in your sight or great in God's sight? Be sure that you know what you're talking about before you give someone credit when they don't have any credit coming. Praise the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. Wow. Wow. God came from Teman. Oh, why? Someone for sure will say, I didn't know that. Well, let's find out where Teman is so we can all go there. Well, I don't know if you would want to go there if you really found out what it was. Teman, you know, was big time connected, connected to Esau. And being that God hated Esau, but loved Jacob. There's people that don't want anything to do with Esau, nothing to do with him at all. Because, once again, we've got Scripture being interpreted improperly. We got God who loves on one side and hates on the other side. And that's a false depiction of God. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear, and I can guarantee you that, that hate and fear are almost synonymous. I don't believe that there's any hate in God. Somebody says all the scripture says. No, I don't believe there's any... Let me repeat that. I don't believe there's any hate in God. Yeah, but the Scripture says... Let me repeat that again. 
I don't believe there's any hate in God. And I know there's some scripture that has been said and misinterpreted because it was never understood. The manifest says, doesn't use that word hate, but it interprets it, and God loved Esau less. Now that I can accept. There's some people he's loved more, some people he's loved less. Because he could not love them more because they prevent it. Some people prevent God from loving them more. They put up a block. And so he can only sometimes love them from a remote perimeter. So he loved Esau less. And he loved, you see, Jacob more. But when you really look at the record, you know, it's pretty interesting. I mean, this Esau guy seems like he got a bad, a bad deal. He was the firstborn. Why are you, why are you talking about, what's that got to do with the message? What are you talking about Esau for? What's that got to do with the message? Well, he was the firstborn of Isaac. That's a big thing. Firstborn. Jacob wasn't the firstborn. But I'll tell you what Jacob did as a baby. When Esau was being born and coming out of the womb, the hand of Jacob as a baby was holding on to the heel of Esau. And it must have been quite a firm grip. It was something very unusual. And so that when the body of Esau came out of his mother's womb, at the same time, the hand and wrist of Jacob came out too. And of course they were twins, even though they didn't really look uh, that much alike. Because Esau was, he, he was a red-haired man. Very red. And in fact, red is the name for the Edom term. E-D-O-M. It means red. So the Edomites were from this word red, which had to do with Esau. And when we are talking Teman, we're talking the land of the people of the Edomites. And when we are talking Paran, the wilderness of Paran, the mountains of Paran, we are talking the land of the Edomites. Because that was their, their perimeter. So what's the Bible doing here? Is this a departure? Is this a conflict? Is, is this some kind of strange navigation that doesn't follow the streaming of God's Word? No. It's a beautiful revelation. And it's tied in to the man that I sung about tonight. Whose hands are these, wounded and bleeding? Whose hands are these that fed the multitudes? Whose hands are these that I need this very moment? 
Whose hands are these? Whose hands are these? His hands, the hollow of his hands, came out this energy. And you can imagine when they spiked it with those great heavy spike nails. That energy just flowed out of those hands. It must have spilled out to the people round about the cross. One high-ranking soldier, the Bible says, at some point during the crucifixion, that this this captain, this soldier, this leader of the armed forces, for his particular assignment, said, this must have been a man of God. He felt the flow of the energy coming out of the hands, the hollowed hands of Jesus Christ. Whose hands are these? There's questions out there, ladies and gentlemen, that that need to be answered. There's questions out there, ladies and gentlemen, that need to be preached on, talked on. It is so interesting, you know. Let's just real fast turn to Genesis 36. Genesis 36. I know i got to move here because I've got so much to cover and I'm hardly getting started. But Genesis 36. Let's just read a little bit here. See what the Scripture is saying uh, in Genesis 36. I mean, there's a whole lot here. We can't cover everything. But... um, In Genesis 36, it says, Now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. You got that? That verified what I told you earlier. Now, Enoch, pardon me, Esau did some things. He took wives uh, of the daughters of Canaan. He didn't do like Jacob and go off to Padamaram. Of course, Padamaram, that was quite a quite a complicated, convoluted situation. Because, you know, he got over there and, I mean, there was controversy all along. And betrayal. I mean, you know, uh, the same thing that he did to Esau. You know, he pretended he pretended to Esau's father that he was Esau. And uh, he put hairy feeling stuff that he sort of uh, glued, I don't know what method he did, but I mean, all kinds of things could make glue in those days, even flour, properly used. And uh, so that when, uh, and he took some of the clothes of, and put on of Esau, because Esau was a, was a powerful man that hunted venison for his father. He was a, he was a hunter, uh, a great, powerful man. And uh, he went out there and... Uh, was involved in that, and that's what that's what that's what Esau did. But Jacob was just a man that sort of lived in the tents. He was a home man, and uh, he wasn't into hunting and all that kind of thing. And uh, you know, Esau was more like a man's man, and his father really loved him for his capabilities of hunting and and the man's man that he was. And 
you know, Jacob was more of a ladies' man. I mean, he was very comfortable staying at home among the ladies. And his mother, who, you know, was a lady, she loved him. She appreciated him there, having him there to look at. And uh, seeing him, you know, uh, smooth face looking and, and shaven and not come back like rough and tough and smelling like the forest or the the hunting grounds like Esau, who was Edom. The word means red. Well, we know the story that there was deception that went on there and and, and and Jacob was old and he couldn't see good and you know, he he couldn't smell completely like he used to, he couldn't smell that well and he just used his feeling and everything he could to try to make for sure that this was his son and uh and uh and they even had to make some stew that was fixed up to taste like it might be venom you know, deer meat. And um and they did a good job with the help of the mother. He did a good job, and they 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 fooled him. And so uh, Isaac made the blessing upon Jacob instead of making it upon his brother that it really belonged to, because his brother was the firstborn. But that hand on the heel did have some consequences, and Jacob got the blessing. It's an interesting story, that deception that he pulled, because then when he went over to Padamaram and he saw this woman that he just loved, he just absolutely was almost faint in his heart. To, just if he couldn't have her, he just nothing was worth living, you know. And so he got married, and they had, you know, all their attire on where you couldn't hardly see their face, and and then it was dark in the tent, and... He made love to her and all that, but in the morning he found out that he had a sister and not the woman that he thought he was marrying. He got deception. He got a taste of deception. He had to work another seven years. So he ended up 14 years of work just to pay for having his those two women as his wives. They only really wanted the one, but he got two. Well, there's a meaning in that. Sometimes when you only want the one of something, you end up with the two of something because there's a destiny. There's a parallel. And though, to begin with, there were twins. And they both came from the same seed and they, to speak, you know. And they both came from the same womb. Same father, I should say, and the same mother. So what is the story? How does this work on the planet Earth? Is somebody like that just because, you know, of their style, they get hated of God? Don't, don't try to sell me cornflakes that have mold on them because I'm not interested. Because that isn't really the teaching of the Bible or the Word of God. That's just compositions that have been expressed by men and you know from not understanding by the spirit what the bible is really saying there's only one in a thousand so i expect that out of 70 men working on a bible that every one of them would be one of a thousand not anyway blessed be the name of god listen to me now listen to me we got this word this word is it's got waves 
And it's rolling. It's rolling into your ears and into your eyes and into your mind. It's a living word. And it wants to heal you and it wants to make you whole and it wants to set you free. It wants to to remind you of who you really are. Were you there when they crucified your Lord? Of course you were. Were you there before the foundations of the world? When the making of the foundations, when the sea was being held back by gravity and all these things were being put in, put in place? Of course you were. Were you there in the most ancient way of being? A person of ages and ages and ages. Were you there? Yes. You connected with the Pleiades and and all these incredible, wondrous things of God. The Artura, Artur, Arturus, Orion. You connected with all that? Of course you are. Do you not know that you were born then at the very beginning? Jesus said you are gods and there's nothing can break that. There is no power in heaven or on earth that can ever disconnect that, that can ever disassimilate that. Nothing has the power or the engine to tear it apart. unless you are just going to absolutely deny it yourself and refuse it and then blaspheme by doing so against the Holy Ghost. And I don't think anybody's going to be that much of a fool. At least there won't be very many that much of a fool. Wow. But there were some royal things, you know, because it was all part of prophecy that came out of out of Esau. He was a he, he had a lot of nobility, even though he was this powerful hunter. And and uh, in verse 15 of chapter 36 of Genesis, it talks about, and there were dukes of the sons of Esau. And it begins to name off all these dukes. I won't take the time to read all through that. But read out right on from verse 15 through verse 17. And even even further. Even through 18. Dukes. Wow. Wow. And and, and these, these people, you know, verse 19, are the sons of Esau, of Esau, who is Edom. These are their dukes. These are the sons of Esau, who is Edom. These are his dukes. It's a great revelation here. It's a beautiful revelation here. Wow. Wow. People just don't understand the connectedness and how that these people, when they would go, they were right. They weren't that far away from from uh, the city of Sila, the city city of Sila was not that far away, which is now called Petra. And some of you people no doubt have even visited there. And it's quite the place. And it's where David's general shamefully 
took 10,000 inhabitants and took them up to the tops of the rocks and cast them alive down upon the rocks to suffer, to fall, to be full of fear. They put a stain on Petra. No wonder no wonder that David was plagued by the memory of that of that Selah. And he used that word like like a prayer at the end of every one of his proverbial sayings. Selah. Not everyone, but a lot of them. And they recognized that as some kind of a special dynamic of song. Well, there's a certain accord to that. But not necessarily the way the average person understood it. It is just so absolutely incredible. There is there is so much. Let's look at um, Genesis 25. Genesis 25. Here's an interesting story. It just it just all connects. Just all connects. You'll see what I'm, where I'm getting at here in a little bit. Okay. Chapter 25, verse 23. We should maybe read verse 20. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife. And the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padamaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled within her. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in your womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from your bowels, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, there, fulfilled, there was, were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, and, and all over, like, like a hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. Verse 27. Oh, and, and after that came out his brother. And his hand took hold on Esau's heel. His name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when he bare them. Verse 27. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter. <clears throat> Man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And there you have the story. Uh, you can take the time to read it where Esau is betrayed by Jacob. But the story goes on. Where um, 
there is a separation that, you know, that takes place. And um, it's, it's very, very, very interesting. Um, when we're talking about, uh, you know, this, this separation. Um, we read in verse 4. God is speaking to Abraham, and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all, A-L-L, all nations of the earth be blessed. And um, the Bible says in other places that all the nations of the earth were to be considered part of the Abrahamic um, blessing and of the Abrahamic seed. And we know of the of the story where this one uh, wife, this one wife of um, of Abraham, um, was sent out. Pardon me, I'm making I'm making a lot of unnecessary noise. Don't pay too much attention. Well, we know the story where there was this division, and and this one wife was sent out and um, she had to take her son and this son uh, was really loved by Abraham Abraham just loved this son but his wife did not want that son to be there and have the heritage of Abraham because she did not understand that even though he left and he went out, he was still going to have the heritage. Because that was already guaranteed that he was going to be the father of many nations. And anything that she said wasn't going to change that. But in her mind it would. And so this, this Egyptian lady, Hagar, she went out and left with her son. And the angel of the Lord appeared to her because they were thirsty and they didn't know what to do. And the angel of the Lord opened her eyes so that she could see. And she couldn't see it before. And why couldn't she see it before? Well, because the, the angel was spiriting the creation of it right then. And she saw this well and she had water. She filled her bottle with that water. And the angel said, I'm going to make a great nation out of out of." out of this person. Now, <clears throat> there'd be a lot of scholars that wouldn't agree with this. But you've got Israel in constant war with other Arab states. Other Arab states that are, act, that are actually relatives to the Jews. They are the offspring, many of them, from this son whose mother was Hagar that was kicked out. And they are possessing these lands that was promised to, you know, some of these lands that was promised to Abraham. But people aren't able to distinguish any more than, than Abraham's wife that these people have a heritage. They have a heritage. And so, 
when the Bible says you're going to have all this land all the way to the Euphrates River and all of this and all of that, well, in all honesty, in the fulfillment of the seed of Abraham, they already have it. It's just that it's just not it's just that it's not all being possessed by the Jews. It's being possessed by the family of Abraham, which was what the prophecy was really about. So instead, they're trying to make a prophecy come to pass in a different way. And it goes back to the, to the killing syndrome. They're just going to have to kill everybody that's possessing these lands so that they can have it themselves. They have to kill them all, even though they're relatives. Even though they are children of Abraham. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? They haven't got the revelation straight. They could be at peace if each side just understood. They've already got what they need. Some said, yeah, but that's just not enough land for Israel. Oh, you don't know that. Because if you build upward and downward and out into the sea, there's just untold acres of possibilities for expanding your land. And in the future, that's the way it'll go anyway. So don't jump the gun. People are out there warring because of misinterpretation of scriptures. And they want these other people to be killed. There's Christians that want these other people to be killed. Wiped out, it doesn't matter how they're slaughtered. Just so that they can make what they think is these, these prophecies to come to pass. And they are interpreting it based on their ideas and, and, and ideologies and philosophy. Which is wrong. Which is absolutely incorrect. And so when they make those kind of predictions, they are becoming a part of the killing of these innocents, which include women and children. That makes them no better off than Genghis Khan. Someone says, oh no, 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 no. The Israelites would have never been anything like that. Oh, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know the Bible. You wouldn't even be saying that. Some say, well, I know this. I know like the Islamic people. They go out, and if you don't believe what they want to believe, they will kill you. The Jews never did anything like that. Oh, is that right? Oh, what an incredible historical person that you are. You don't understand the age of the Maccabees? when they were thought to be like messiahs, and how that they went out and they forced people like people from the land of Edom, even in that time. They forced them to be circumcised and to become a Jew or die. Same thing. Same thing that the the Muslims are doing. Someone said, you're just trying to take up for the Muslims. No, I'm just trying to take up for truth. People criticized the the Catholics for the way that they caused a lot of suffering among innocent people. Burning of people that were not witches, burning of other individuals that were that were innocent people. And the Protestants made this big story about it. But 
as time went on, the Protestants did the same things, uh, if not worse, than what the Catholics did. But they're still blind to the things that they did. Each party blind to the things that they did. Just like <clears throat> if Hitler had won the war, then he, you know, it would have been a religious cause that God answered in his mind and in the mind of the Nazis. And all these other people would have been the misdemeanors that, misdemeanors that needed to be eradicated and were. And he was the tool of God to do it. That's how they would interpret it if it had come out that way. And that's what you've got today with people that just endorse things according to whichever wishy way that they feel something is going. Well, I got to hurry. I'm running out of time. Turn with me to the 16th chapter of, of Ezekiel. I got to throw this in. 16th chapter of Ezekiel. Now, when people read in Jude, when people read in Peter, they think that, and Old Testament scriptures, they think, yeah, well, got to be careful, you know. Remember what Solomon, remember what God did to Solomon, to, to Sodom, pardon me, and Gomorrah. Remember what he did. And you better be careful because, you know, you can just be wiped out from existence. That'd be the end of you forever, ever, 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 and ever. You don't even know what you're talking about. You don't understand one whittle of what you think that you know. That is not the teaching of the Bible. You just think that that is. You can't look at a course in history and see some event that is a disastrous event, whether it happened by nature or where it happened by direct uh, you know, order of some divine energy. You can't look at one epic of time and then put that epic of time into a slot that never ever can change, that is doomed, you have no power to do that. You have no right to interpret it that way. Nor does anybody else on this planet. And that is not the interpretation of the Bible. You see, the Bible tells us very clearly that, for instance, the Bible tells us in Romans 11.26 that all, A-L-L Israel, will be saved. And just as well, you can find scriptures, and I'm going to show you a few right now, where there's all kinds of people that, that were considered to be eradicated for good, burning in the, in the guts of hell, never able, never, never able to be released. Just not going to be able to be released because they're, they're doomed forever and ever and ever. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't understand the scriptures like I read last Last week, how that while all of these things were going on, including the sins, the misnomers, the mistakes, the fall, and the continuum of things that were people were beastfully doing on earth, that God at that time through Jesus Christ was reconciliating those sins so that there was built a, an immunity. So that those sins were ready through the grace of Christ to be washed out and forever forbidden to ever be used to sail against any of these people that had been involved in the creation. Because there were guarantees that had been made to Abraham. 
to his seed, which included all the nations of the world. Someone said, no, that's just for the Jews. No, don't, don't, don't tell me something that I, I know that you don't know. Yes, the Bible does say first to the Jews and then to Samaria and then to others. But first doesn't mean that all the rest of the people are out of luck. And in the end, the Bible tells us that the Alpha and the Omega are going to happen at the same time. And the first will be last and the last will be first. <coughs> okay, real quick. Ezekiel 16. You've got to get a load of this. Put it into your your mind. And we're going to we're going to look at um uh we're going to look at uh verse 44. Behold everyone that hath this proverbs shall use it against you saying as the mother so is the daughter. And if you look at the beginning of the of um chapter 16 verse 1 here's the subject title and again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, <clears throat> cause, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. The title of the subject is about Jerusalem, which is the incorporation of the Jews, of Israel. Israel is being represented by the Jews. And it says, Thou art thy mother's Daughter and that loatheth her husband and her children, the sister of thy sister which loatheth their husbands and their children, your mother was a Hittite, your father an Amorite, and thy elder sister Samaria, she and her daughters that dwell in, at your left hand, and thy younger sister that dwell on thy right hand is Sodom and her sisters. There's a relationship there, humanly. And spiritually. Now look at verse 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Sister. So the people of Sodom were considered sister to Jerusalem people. They had a problem of pride and fullness of bread. Abundance of idleness was in her. And in her daughter's. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor or the needy. They were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. I took them away as I saw good. He took them away for their good. didn't take them away for their for evil perpetration against them. Neither hath Samaria, verse 51, Committed half the sins, half of your sins, Jerusalem. But thou hast multiplied thy abominations more than they, and hast justified thy sisters in all thine abominations which thou hast done. Thou also which hast judged thy sisters bear thine own shame for your sins that thou hast committed. Now get this, I want you to hear this. Bear thine own shame for thy sins that thou hast committed are more abominable than they. They are more righteous than thou. Yea, be thou confounded also and bear thy shame in that thou hast justified thy sisters when I shall bring again 
their captivity. The captivity of Sodom and her daughters. The captivity of Samaria and her daughters. Then I will bring them again, the captivity of the captives, in the midst of them, that thou mayest bear thine own shame, and mayest be confounded in all that thou hast done, in that thou art a comfort unto them, when thy sisters Sodom and her daughters shall return to their former estate, and Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former estate, then thou and thy daughters shall return to your former estate. Oh, come on. Are you hearing me? Are you listening to me? Verse 60, Nevertheless, Jerusalem, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth that I established with you an everlasting covenant. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something. The Bible clearly tells us, and I'm sorry that I didn't have time to get into all these other scriptures, of the real beauty of the trans-assimilation. But we're going to have to go to three, part three. And I'm going to then get into the rest of this revelation of trans-assimilation. And uh, I really didn't really get into it hardly to speak of. But there are some beautiful, absolutely gorgeous teachings here. <clears throat> and I've taken you this far. But you need to understand, you can't look back in history and judge people. You can't judge Esau. You can't judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Because they're going to be brought back. They're going to get another chance. There's going to be a, a proposition of eternal justification for all those who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, as the, the Lord of, the, of hosts, as the angel king of kings and Lord of Lords, who is coming with the voice of an archangel to gather his people one day. Not today, not tomorrow. There is a time, it's all part of the time, time, and dividing, dividing of the times revelation that has been so mistaught for so many generations. So now we're we're ready to have my wife come. She's going to play the organ softly in the background. Tonight, I just want to pray for some of you people instead of doing the Gentile. I want to pray that the Spirit of the Holy Ghost will descend upon you. I, over the many, many years of my ministry, have had a gift of, of praying for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I don't know that I can ever remember a time when I laid my hands on someone that they did not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I would like to send my voice out over the, the waves of this broadcast that God will engender you with the Holy Spirit. 
that God will fill your hearts and fill your minds and the wholeness of your being. And I pray that this Holy Spirit will cause you to really get in to this ministry of Holy Manifest. And that you will really stand beside us in your prayers. That you will contribute with your comments. You have no idea how important that is. How many people have said how much it has meant to them to read the comments of other people that comment on the blogs. It is really a body ministry when people comment and they take a part. When they don't comment and take a part, you know, there's a, there's a gap. We need people to comment. We need it. It's body ministry. There's these beautiful blogs that are being made. They're not simple, Simon. But they will begin to live in you. And any of you people out there that did not buy that book, and I'm not saying this to sell the book. God knows and will judge me as my words being true. But it is such a profound book. Advertised on both manifestor.org and manifestor.com. The Seven Thunders before Genesis. You need to get that. Because it will help you understand the blocks. May God's power and energy flow through these words right now into your body, into your mind, and charge you with the Holy Spirit. That you feel this surge, that you feel this energy, that, that it heal you, that it deliver you, that it free you, that it give you empowerment. Jesus, sweet Jesus, come and fill our hearts. Do not pass me over. We love you so much, folks. Stand by us. We need you and you need us. Stand by us. Till next week, God bless you and keep you. And these prayers go with you in Jesus' name.